0: of Jesus Christ and in that let us never get over his marvelous grace as we sing of his grace as we meditate upon his grace that it would touch our hearts in such a way and we're reminded in such a way what he has done for us freely bestowed his grace upon us and what a cost it was to the son of God Jesus Christ given up his own life for us. John chapter 14, John chapter 14, just a quick note that I want to bring your attention to, the title of my sermon is, He Will Bring Us Home, not He Will Bring Us, Bring Home. Uh, It's a little typo there in the bulletin course I didn't do the typo but uh, I would have done many typos if it was up to me but nevertheless he will bring us home what is a Christian to do when it seems that the world around us is in utter turmoil maybe just around us in our lives individually families whatever it may be but all around us Uh, as a a people as a population or when personal crisis hits what do we do where do we turn when circumstances are outside of our control or when spiritually it seems that we are under a frowning providence or it seems that we find ourselves in a dark spot of despair who do we turn to When we have troubled hearts, who or what are we to trust in? These few verses this morning are meant to be a balm for troubled hearts. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but Through me, I ask the Lord for help, Father, again this morning I seek the help of the Holy Spirit of God. God, I ask that you would engage hearts here this morning, that people would not slumber nor sleep, but focus on your word this morning. You're a God who does not slumber nor sleep. We're accountable this morning for what we hear, just as I am accountable for what I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus knew what it was to have a troubled heart, to be troubled inwardly. John, the gospel writer, mentions this three times. We recall in chapter 11 when Jesus saw Mary weeping after the death, death of Lazarus. Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, the gospel says. And that's when Jesus wept And in the account that we have in the gospel of John. After the Greeks came to see Jesus, Jesus said that the hour had come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus said that his soul had become troubled at that time. He knew the hour was going closer, growing closer. And when Jesus told the disciples that one of them would betray him, he also became troubled in spirit. And here in chapter 14 verse 1 and also repeated in verse 27 we find a slight change in wording as Jesus tells his disciples do not be troubled or do not let your heart be troubled and what is true that he told his disciples is true for us this morning the heart, uh, the seat of the spiritual life uh, connected to the mind Again, we're reminded that these words here are connected to chapter 13. There were no chapter breaks when the text was written in the, in the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic of the Old Testament. But here the chapters uh, are beneficial to us most times. But here these words are at the end uh, of what Jesus said in chapter 13, of course, in verse 38. He's talking to men who just heard him say that there was a betrayer in the room. And when the betrayer left, Jesus would tell them that he would be leaving as well. And that they could not go with him at that time. And then he told them that Peter specifically would deny him. And remember, they all chimed in and said, we would never deny you neither. No, not us. But Peter emphatically says, I will not deny you. No way, not going to happen. So as Jesus said these things to the disciples that were in that room, these were not men with joyful, tranquil, uh, and the happiest hearts at that period of time. They didn't have the disposition of ones that were just clicking their heels. No doubt they were troubled, that they, they were struggling, they were grappling with this at some level. They left everything for Jesus. They counted the cost, everything to follow him. And now we can imagine how they felt when he says that he was going to leave and that they could not follow him at this time. Jesus knew that they were in distress. And the trial that they were about to face that they would endure would be the most significant trial of their walks with Jesus Christ thus far. Jesus encouraged them not to be troubled in heart. This shows us once again the tenderness of our Savior, the concern that Jesus has for His own. He knew they were struggling And they were getting ready for an intense trial. He shows them that he cares for them. And he calls them to have principled priorities. Our first point. Principled priorities. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, says the Lord. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He's saying, trust in God. Trust in me, the Lord was saying. We know about this verb that it is present active. Keep on believing. Keep on trusting in God and also in me. What's less clear in this verse is if the verbs are indicative or imperative in those moods in the Greek. Some theologians disagree on this. Did Jesus, We could look at it in a few ways. Did Jesus point out their faith, saying, you believe in God, you are also believing in me, therefore, etc. Or is it a command? Believe God, believe also in me. Two commands. Or a combination. Since you believe in God, believe in me also. Most commentators agree that at least uh, believe in me, as Jesus says, is the imperative, the command. And that's where I landed. It, it makes sense. At least one would be a command. It's, it's not a, a choice for them. Believe in, in me, he is saying. It makes sense. Jesus is calling them to, to trust him. Jesus does not just say to the disciples... Let, don't let your heart be troubled. And then leave it at that. As we would say, um, don't, just don't worry about that. You know, we would say that to someone. Just, just don't worry about it. Don't let it bother you. You know, if someone says that to us when we're bothered by something, oh, don't let it bother you. Well, that really helps. I'm still bothered by it, even though you told me not to. But we say these things, right? Don't, oh, just don't worry about it. Well, I'm very worried about it right now. Um, but he gives us something to base it on. Jesus does. For some, he gives us something to base, not letting our hearts be troubled on. And that is himself. He's going to give them a reason to not let their heart be troubled. Trusting in him. Troubled people cannot just untrouble themselves at the snap of a finger. Maybe some of you can't, I cannot. Um, it's, and I was thinking about the And I don't want to be offensive with this because these are we've all done we've all sent cards like this, but if you get the point, you say, Wow, you know, or we've said these things, and these are very nice to do. Get well soon. Right? We send these cards, get well soon, someone is sick. I've had those cards, I've sent those cards. And we mean well. Get well soon, someone is sick. Does that do anything for them, getting them better? No. If they could get better soon, they would. Or feel better. Feel better? Well, if I could, I, I, I would. I appreciate your help in that, but if I could feel better at of the fingers, I would. And we understand, we say these things, and we are genuine in them, and I'm not knocking them, I'm just trying to, to give the point here that Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled, and he doesn't just leave it at that. Political commentators say this. Don't let your heart be troubled, and then they go into their uh, diatribe of why we should not be troubled according to their statements, according to their beliefs. Even counselors can say this. You go to get some counsel from someone or, or whatnot, they, they say, well, just don't let your, your heart be troubled about it, you know? We need something to base that on. We go back to the context here Jesus was troubled in spirit due to the betrayal, arrest, suffering, crucifixion, and abandonment by the Father that was imminent. He was troubled in spirit, so they did not have to be. So that we do not have to be. Well, how so? By taking upon Himself the deepest troubles, the deepest sorrows, the wages of sin. Jesus knows what it is to be troubled in spirits. And it's in Him and in Him alone that our troubled spirits find, our troubled hearts find peace. But we have principled priorities. We must base our hearts that can be troubled at times and Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. We base it on our trust in God, our trust in Jesus Christ, our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we see that He bases it on something else as well. Secondly for us this morning, a permanent dwelling. A permanent dwelling. The Lord continues to teach how they can have a heart that is not troubled. He couches it in what Jesus has done, what Jesus will do, and where they are going. He says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So let's take a look at this, this permanent dwelling, this Father's house. What is this speaking of? Well, this is a reference to heaven. A reference to heaven, his father's house. Now, if we're gonna move from one location to another on this earth, we I move from Florida to New Hampshire. Right? You check things out, you look around, you say, okay, what's this place gonna be like? What's this location like? What this what's this location like? Someone here, some of you here may be moving from one town to another town around here and you say, okay, I'm going to check this out I'm going to check this out I'm going to do a ton of research, we say, right? A ton of research. I've always wondered how much that weighed anyway, but a ton of it even if we're going to visit a place for vacation right now we have these uh, uh, the resources that are uh, at our disposal where we can check out every little thing about it, look at the reviews and say five star review or four star review, wonderful, let's stay there, the best place to stay For Christians, we're going to spend eternity with the Lord. Going to heaven when we die. Do we spend as much time considering our eternal destination, our eternal home? Do we consider that what we do now, how we live now, relates to how we will live then? Many dwelling places, there's plenty of room. Plenty of room for all who call upon the name of the Lord, for all who will be saved. Room for those who have walked with the Lord for decades this side of glory. There's room for them. And room for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ on their deathbed. There's room for them as well. We know that not everyone is promised a deathbed. We're only promised death itself. None will be shut out of his Father's house except those who are unrepentant, those hostile to Christ, those who will not bow the knee to Christ today, now, this side of glory. There's plenty of room in his Father's house, but there is plenty of room in hell. And it will be full and filled to the brim with lost souls who have rejected Jesus, who have played Christianity, who have played church. Several things to consider when we ponder His Father's house. It's home for the people of God. Home. Sunday evenings we're going through 1 Peter Peter calls us aliens and strangers in this place. And if you walked with the Lord any length of time, you could say yes and amen to that. You'd say, I've I've seen that. I feel like an alien and a stranger many times in many ways in this earth, on this planet where we live now. Yet his, His Father's house is our home. And home is a place J.C. Ryle says, Home is a place where we are generally, generally loved for our own sakes and not for our gifts or possessions. Love for just who we are, not for what we bring to the table. The place where we are loved to the end, never forgotten and always welcome. Believers are in a strange land in this life, and it's getting stranger by the day, I would add. In this life, in the life to come, they will be at home. We will be at home. And as it has famously been put, there is no place like home. The longing to be at home has been ongoing and since the fall of man in Genesis 3. Where Adam and Eve were expelled from their home in the garden because of their sin. All believers throughout redemptive history, as we are here today, have been longing for the permanent home reserved in heaven for the people of God. Our for, forever home, <clears throat> excuse me, new heavens and the new earth. As it says of Abraham, He was looking for the city, which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Heaven, where Jesus went to go and prepare a place for us, for those who he would call to himself. How did he prepare a place for us? If you just read that text and you say, oh, he went to prepare prepare a place for us. And we think in the flesh, we think of some type of building blocks and such. But how did he prepare a place for us? How did that even happen first? Well, first he had to die for us. That was the preparation for us. He shed his blood on the cross at Calvary so that we could enter into his father's house. As Hebrews 9 says says, I'll just read it for you, verse 11 and 12 and 15. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption, For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And that promise of an eternal inheritance is for the people of God. For Christians here this morning, that is our promise of this eternal inheritance. He has prepared a place for us. He prepared a place for us by removing the obstacle that keeps us from being able to enter. The one obstacle that keeps us from being able to enter His Father's house, He removed, and that is our sin. Colossians 2 says, He made you alive together with Christ, with Him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. Not of some, but of all. All transgressions for the Christians. We are a forgiven people. Headed to glory. Colossians continues, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Debt is an ugly word. Some of you may have been in debt before, the financial debt. Some of you may be in debt now. It is an ugly word. It doesn't even sound nice, debt. It's spelled wrong anyway. <laughs> it is an ugly word. But add another word to it, and it's a beautiful phrase, a beautiful saying. Debt. Free. Debt free. Beautiful. Wonderful. And that's who we are. We had a debt we could not pay. A debt that was against us. A debt that was hostile to us as individuals. A debt that was against us, hostile towards us, a debt we were responsible to pay, but there is no way we could ever pay it. No way. Christ paid our debt for us, nailing it to the cross. And we have a permanent dwelling, it'll also be a personal dwelling. Consider, consider maybe some of you that are talented in decorating or, or whatnot. Some of you are not, and that's fine. I am one that would say is not, but nevertheless. Consider you had a si- significant amount of resources that were given to you, talent and gifting, to decorate a place for somebody. And they were coming, and you had time to give a place uh, to set up a place for them. Someone that you cared about, someone that you loved, and you had re- resources, just a ton of resources, you could set this place up for them. Why well, are we to think that Jesus would take less of an initiative with endless resources at his disposal, an unfathomable love for his people, as he prepares a place for us with a divine preparation for us? Christians for eternity are forever home so he calls us to have principled priorities and we're going to a permanent dwelling and he has a promised reception for us there is a promised reception for us verse 3 if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am you may be also Jesus gives his disciples and gives us, as well, another comfort there. He promises to return to receive us to himself. Well, what is this speaking of here? This is speaking of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He will return. And he will return for his own. And he will receive his own to himself. How the second coming... works out, how it fleshes out as far as the details and the details surrounding it, they are important. It's important to study eschatology and to have a proper view on the second coming of Christ. But what stands out here is the comfort provided when He returns because He will receive us to Himself. That we will be with Jesus should be our overarching focus it should be that we are focused on the Lord we will be with him he will receive us to himself Hendrickson puts it like this so wonderful is Christ's love for his own that he is not satisfied with the idea uh, idea of merely bringing them to heaven he must needs take them into his own embrace receiving us To himself. Beloved. He is coming for us. And now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet. What we will be. We know that when he appears. We will be like him. Because we will see him. Just as he is. And this backdrop. For having a place prepared for us. By the Lord. And the fact that that the Lord will return to receive us is having a place prepared for us we have a prepared departure a prepared departure with this anticipation and hope of eternity that Jesus says to us do not let your heart be troubled believe in God, believe also in me if Christ is our focus, we ought to have an eternal focus as well living for eternity, yet we function in the here and now. Someone once said, the more of heaven we cherish, the less of earth we covet. Again, the more of heaven that we would cherish, the less of earth we covet. In a way, our heart is already there. You know, at times we say, oh, my heart's back in such and such place when you live somewhere else. My heart's really there. In a way, our heart is really in in heaven, where we will be with Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Some of you here today may be advanced in age, and you may say things like, well, I'm just ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to go. Take me now, Lord. Some of you, maybe you're younger, may say, I'm ready to go. Take me now, Lord. Some of you this morning may have said that. On the way here, just under your breath. Just take me now, Lord. He's got the time. He knows the time. And there will be a time when you will take your last breath, and so will I. Some may say that they're ready. Some are prepared, but not all who are in here today, this morning are prepared for heaven because you're not prepared for death. Death is a reality. Death is coming. Death is coming for all of us. 100% of us in here will die unless Christ comes back first. Think of that, ten out of ten people die. The question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared to take your last breath? Are you prepared to step into eternity? I was listening to a couple guys talking at at the gym they were talking about as they age, and uh, i wasn 't I was listening in kind of and um, they were talking about uh, different things that happen to you as you age, even though you work out. And, and one guy said to another, and he was joking, he said, um, I've been in the ring, I'm summarizing, I've been in the ring with Father Time, and Father Time has never lost a fight. Death has never lost a fight. Death comes for all of us. The question is, are you prepared? Jesus not only prepared a place for us, for Christians, but there is a place prepared also for the devil and his angels, the eternal fire, a place where the unprepared will be thrown into for eternity, a place of unending judgment, unending torment, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is truth seen too late, as one theologian says. The damned shall live as long in hell as God Himself shall live in heaven, says Thomas Brooks. So the question for all to examine yourself this morning is, are you prepared to go today? A place that Jesus has prepared for those who trust in Him, for the salvation of their souls. Are you prepared for that place? Are you prepared for the place of eternal torment? You are preparing yourself for one of two places. Everyone in here this morning. If you're a Christian, you are preparing. You are prepared and you are preparing yourself for heaven as you walk in this life in sanctification. If you're not, and even if you're pretending to be a Christian, you are unprepared for heaven and you are preparing yourself even more so for hell. And there will be no second chances there. Today is the day of salvation. None of us deserve to go to heaven. No one in this room deserves that. All of us deserve hell. I deserve hell standing before you as a preacher of the Word of God. Yet God provides a way to redeem hell-deserving sinners through the perfect sacrifice, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So he calls us to principled priorities, a permanent dwelling, a promised reception. He will receive us to himself. Christian, God loves you. And he will receive you. And we are to have a prepared departure And now we find, as we walk with the Lord, a present participation. A present participation. He helps our our troubled hearts now. Anyone been troubled in heart perhaps this last week? Perhaps maybe this morning, not looking for a show of hands? Maybe today, even right now, you have a troubled heart. Well, several helps for us as we consider these few verses Jesus goes to prepare a place for his people. Not for everyone. This place he is preparing, has prepared is for his people. Not for all people. We see the we see election taught. We see this here. It just comes off the pages at us. Also, he will come again and receive those for whom he died for. He's not going to come again and receive everyone to himself. He will receive those for whom he died for this particular redemption, a particular death for a particular people. He will not receive all people, but only those who have received him by faith and repentance. In this life, Jesus promised to take his people, to receive them to himself, so that where he is, they may be also. Christian, consider that this morning. He has promised that He will receive you to Himself. You will persevere until the end by the Holy Spirit of God. And He will preserve us until glory as well. Nothing can change that fact. Also, as He helps our troubled hearts now, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we should not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and, and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. As our world is falling apart, as our country is falling apart, As perversity is reigning, our refuge and strength is in the Lord, our very present help in trouble. We all get troubled hearts at times. We struggle with different things. If you're human and you're breathing in here this morning, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have struggles. But God is seeing you through. God leads us along, is a song. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow. Some in here, no great sorrow. But God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. God leads his dear children along. And he will bring us home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promises that are in your word this morning as we have studied this, as we have read this as we have heard this and have I, and I have preached this. You're a God who does not lie, cannot lie. You're a God who will go and prepare a place for us and you will receive us. You will come again and receive us to yourself. You're a God who is into saving sinners even today. Perhaps there are some in here, O oh God, who do not... Know Jesus Christ who have not bowed the knee to Christ who have not repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus alone for the salvation of their souls. God, we pray that you would please um, rattle their cage today. Shake their hearts today. Bring them to the end of themselves. Let it be that they cannot do anything else until they answer the question, what must I do to be saved? Lord, we live in a world that is filled with troubles, left and right, in front of us, behind us. But you took our deepest troubles that we had, our sin, upon yourself on the cross at Calvary, where he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You paid our debt, you have set us free. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. And God, as we at times will have great sorrows, at times we'll have troubled hearts, be our refuge, our strength, and be our song all the day long. In Jesus' name, amen.